0: This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers, so your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for your blogs and your lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Don Bayaki from Paleo Gluten-Free Guy, and we will be discussing imposter syndrome. Don has been cooking and baking for almost 20 years and went paleo and gluten-free eight years ago. He started his blog 10 months ago to help people get in the kitchen and make delicious anti-inflammatory foods for themselves and for others. Don wants everyone to enjoy food without regretting their choices later. This is one of my favorite topics to chat about, Dawn. But before we dig in, give us a quick fun fact about yourself.
1: Sure. So the summer after I graduated high school, I actually was a dancer in the music video for the opening theme song for the Oprah Winfrey show. No way. Yeah. How did you get that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was the year. I don't know if you ever watched the show where she sang her own theme song.
0: I remember um, that.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, it filmed in Chicago. And so they were filming a music video for it. And then they would use like a 30 second version to open every episode. One of my friends was Kevin as one of the dancers and then on her first day of rehearsal they realized oh we don't have any white guys (laughs) and so they asked all the dancers does anyone know any white guys who can dance and if so please you know see if they're available (laughs) so she gave me a call and I went the next day and I got cast and so that day and the next couple of days I was like dancing with Oprah and a bunch of other people
0: Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. So you're the token white guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was like I think they cast like one or two others, but like yeah. That's yeah.
0: awesome. I love that. I wanna meet Oprah and yeah, if you live in Chicago then you have better
1: chances, right? Yeah. Does she still live there? That's a good question, and I don't remember. are not, I'm, I'm BFFs, not sure. you know. Yeah, no. no we have <laughs> yeah, we haven't had brunch in a while. So. Oh shoot. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Now let's get to our main topic today, which is imposter syndrome. I feel pretty confident saying that most likely, most food bloggers listening right now have either dealt with imposter syndrome. In some at some point in their journey, or that they are even dealing with it now. In this job, we are. We work alone so much of the time. It is so easy to allow thoughts to creep into our heads that say things like, who do I think I am doing this? Or I'm not good enough. I'm not responsible for the success that I'm seeing. So before we dig in, let's first define what imposter syndrome is. If somebody doesn't know, I looked online and I found this definition on the Harvard Business Review website. And it says, a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. Imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt any sense of intellectual fraudulence that override any feelings of success or proof of their competence. That's like terrible, right? Intellectual fraudulence. It sounds sounds so awful. I guess, Dawn, to start, tell us about how your food blogging journey has unfolded and also how imposter syndrome has played a role in it for you.
1: Like you said, I started my blog 10 months ago. I had already been cooking and baking for a long time and I never really felt the need or the ability to put out there my own recipes. I was so used to making other people's, but I kept posting things on Instagram and getting good feedback and realizing more and more that after cooking for so long, I really did have some opinions about things. And I had, you know, my own preferences for how things should be done. I had my own shortcuts. I had my own tips for myself. And I realized, oh, you know what, maybe I actually really can help people. But as you know, there are so many food blogs already. And there are so many successful ones. And I was just thinking like, who am I to start a food blog in 2018? At the time, you know, does the world really need any more of these recipes, but I really love cooking. And I love what I see other food bloggers doing. And I just decided that I needed to do it. But it is a struggle because, like I said, there are so many other successful people that have been doing it for so much longer with you know bigger followings on Instagram and on Facebook and a lot more success. And it just feels like that is so far away from me, if ever. So there is this need for me to kind of talk my way out of those doubts and just press on and keep doing it.
0: I think this way of thinking is super common for food bloggers because like you said, there are so many of us out there and especially now. Back like 5 to 10 years ago, it wasn't quite as competitive. Now in 2019, oh my goodness, there are so many food bloggers. So when we allow ourselves to get caught up in that comparison and I think imposter syndrome can really hit us hard and it's really hard to get over that. So talk to us about ways that you kind of looked past that and were able to launch into your blog because you mentioned that you realized you had a unique spin and that you were providing different value than other bloggers might be. So how did you get
1: past that? To back up a bit to your point, it is really, really common, not just with food bloggers, but with the general population. There have been studies that prove 70% of the population feel imposter syndrome at some point in their lives. It actually, strangely enough, can actually get worse as someone gets more successful because they're taking on more responsibility and their decisions have higher stakes involved. And so it can actually get worse, which feels a little counterintuitive. So it's very, very common. What I realized is when I would post something that I made, people would be like, wow, like, where'd you get that recipe? Or like, how did you do that? And I had been cooking gluten-free in the paleo way for so long, which means no grains, no dairy, no refined sugars. And it was so normal to me at that point. And then I realized it's still a fairly small population of us that do that. Not everyone has seen the information that I've seen or tried the recipes that I've tried. So I could still help a lot of people who have not been exposed to the same blogs that I read and don't own the same cookbooks that I own. And so even if I'm only helping a small group of people, to me, that felt worth it. And I also felt that there's a lot of overlap between the way I cook and the way everyone cooks. And I wanted to sort of bridge that gap so people can see that you can cook in a healthy way without having to feel so deprived. That felt really purposeful and meaningful to me in a way that I really wanted to hold on to.
0: So this just supports the fact that finding a niche and even like a micro niche is so important because you're really honing in on a select audience. So those people are going to want to hear from you. And then also just like really putting your unique spin on the niche out there and your personality so that people get to know you and want to come back for more and more. So I think that you kind of nailed it there with saying, you know, you you found this really specific topic under food blogging that you wanted to talk about, paleo and gluten free. And you're a guy. I mean, there are not a lot of guy food bloggers. So that really, like all those things make you very niche and very unique. And I think that it's important for everyone to find that really specific focus.
1: I agree. The thing is, imposter syndrome is when you feel, as you said, like a basically like a fraud without really deserving to feel like a fraud. You're qualified, but you feel like you're not. And you're also afraid that someone's going to find out and you're going to get exposed. And so it's this fear. And, you know, we've evolved fear to keep us safe. It can be a good thing. It's a survival tool. But it also means that we're not going to take as many risks and we don't speak up for ourselves and we don't advocate for ourselves for a promotion or for starting a food blog. And so there there are problems with imposter syndrome that can really hold us back. I don't want to say it's a good thing because it's not. It comes from a place of insecurity and inadequacy. But you can use it to focus on the positive and what you're doing, why you're doing it, who you're doing it for, and what makes you different from all the other blogs or businesses out there, which is something bloggers should be doing anyway. It's basically a part of your business plan, but not a lot of us do it. It can really help you focus on the meaning and the motivation behind what you're doing. And then you have a strong foundation to build from. It can actually help you focus on the positive and really think about what does make you qualified.
0: I love this so much. So taking imposter syndrome and using it to reflect, which will motivate us to make positive changes. So kind of sitting with that fear or the worry or being afraid that, like you said, someone's gonna figure out that you're not real, that you're that you're a fraud. Like so like really sitting with that and figuring out like where is this coming from? Why do I feel like this? And then taking that information and using it to build a really good business plan. I think that is absolutely brilliant. And you're right, we should be doing that regularly anyway, like as a regular part of our business plans. I think a lot of us probably don't take the time for that until we get to the point when we're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm too scared. So I love that. So I like that we can encourage food bloggers, when you feel that, just kind of digging into it and really searching for the good and pulling it out and putting it in as part of your business plan. I think that is amazing. So talk to us about some other things that can maybe contribute to imposter syndrome? I don't know. Are certain personalities prone to it? Are certain life events? If you've experienced certain things, talk to us about that.
1: Yes, you're right on all counts. It can be certain personalities. Perfectionists often have a problem with imposter syndrome because they set such high standards for themselves and they assume others have also set that standards for them and they're not meeting it. So they then feel inadequate. People have a hard time asking for help often have imposter syndrome because they think they need to do everything themselves. And as food bloggers, we often are doing a lot of it ourselves. We're developing the recipes, we're doing the photography and the food styling and we're writing the blog post and we're writing the recipe. And then we have to, you know, manage all our social media and our marketing. And so We really are doing a lot. And so, again, it can make you feel overwhelmed and that you're not hitting all the levels that you want to hit across the board. If you want it to, it can help you ask for help from others there are a lot of Facebook groups that are about helping food bloggers or blogging in general it's great to reach out to other food bloggers individually maybe through their websites or Facebook groups or Instagram you know everyone is actually totally willing to help other people there's so much information out there it's a really great community actually. The funny thing about imposter syndrome, actually, I thought it was a fairly new phenomenon. I think I heard the term first maybe five, six, seven years ago. It's actually been around since the 70s. These women who were psychologists were studying the phenomenon in successful women. And since then, we've found out that it it impacts men and women equally. But people think it really has been ramping up ever since the Internet. Because, again, there's now just so much content that there's so much competition and it can be really intimidating. And then on top of that, also social media, because people are putting themselves out there and they're curating, their lives to look really beautiful on Instagram. And it can make the rest of us be inspired, but can also make us feel really inadequate in comparison. You might not have the fancy camera equipment that they have. This applies to everyone. If you're a yoga blogger, you might not have the same beautiful poses and pictures in your Instagram feed. And so Instagram, Facebook, even Twitter, these can all prompt feelings of inadequacy And again, that you are going to be called out because like we've seen on the internet and elsewhere, people's mistakes sometimes do go viral. And then if you are putting yourselves out there on Instagram or whatnot, it can feel really vulnerable and you can get really self-conscious and you can be worried that someone – somehow will point out something that you shouldn't be doing. I've never actually seen that happen to a food blogger. I don't know if it has. That is kind of the fear involved with the Internet and social media, too.
0: For sure, because... A lot of us do put our perfect, you know, the perfect parts of ourselves out onto social media. So it's really hard, I think, especially as a newer blogger, to come into that and see that everyone is, quote, perfect. And how could I ever live up to that? Which I've talked about this before, too, but is the reason that I love Instagram stories because so many people are embracing the imperfect side and showing that we are really not perfect. Look at my hair. It looks terrible. And just showing those real parts of our lives that I think are, you know, just more real. So I think that slowly we are getting over that whole perfect facade, which is great. But I wanted to point out a few things that you said. First of all, it's so interesting to me that This was an issue back in the 70s and that you mentioned that it was coming from successful women. And also you mentioned that it gets worse as you gain success because wouldn't you think that it would be the other way around? You would think that like only new bloggers can feel this way. But actually, it's the opposite. When you start to gain traction, then you're like, wait, 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 wait slow down. I don't really deserve this. I didn't really do this. So I think that's really interesting how contradictory that is. And I don't know, that just stood out to me.
1: Yeah, it's really strange. But they've talked to like CEOs and amazing people you would never expect to feel imposter syndrome, feel it. Neil Armstrong, Maya Angelou, Tom Hanks, a lot of people that you just would assume are objectively successful and they know it have admitted to feeling inadequate even after they've become successful.
0: So you were talking about people who are prone to it. You talked about perfectionists, obviously, and then people who have difficulty asking for help. So I think that you kind of talked through this a little bit, but ways to get over this, if you are one of those people who has a hard time asking for help, help. Utilize those Facebook groups, utilize communities and conferences where you can actually connect and realize that you are not alone and that also you can get support and help from these people. And also, this is a great way to realize that outsourcing can really help you, I think, get through something like that. So looking for ways that your blog can improve by hiring somebody. So I think we all feel that where we have a hard time asking for help. But once we start doing it, whatever that means for you, it's like it opens up a new world. Like, OK, I am doing this like this is my business. It almost empowers you a little bit. So are there other people or types of people or personalities that are prone to this sort of thing?
1: Yeah, there is the personality type kind of called the superwoman or superman type, the one who always needs to save the day, the one who always needs to be on top of everything, the one who always has to have the answer for everything and can help everyone all the time. And that's coming from a really good place. It's coming from a really positive place of wanting to do your best and help as many people as possible. But again, you're setting up standards that sometimes are just not realistic, and you can end up being harder on yourself for the things that you do miss instead of focusing on all the things that you got. Or maybe not knowing the answer to one person's question when you've answered so many other questions instead. It's really easy for that type of person to focus on the negative. It's really easy for all of us to do that instead of really internalizing all the good things that they have already done.
0: So kind of fear of missing things or getting things wrong, and then also fear of being vulnerable, which is something you mentioned earlier. So this really does stem from a lot of fear, which is not a good place to be. So how do we deal with that? Talk to us about like if we if we can recognize yes, I have fear about being vulnerable or about being perfect or whatever it is, how do we work to get past that?
1: Sure. So the important part actually is, well, the first thing is to acknowledge that. Sometimes we're not super specific about some anxiety or fear that we have. So it can help just to say it to yourself and acknowledge how you're feeling instead of burying it and reminding yourself that it is, again, so, so common and that most of the people around you even if you're at a food blogging conference full of other successful food bloggers, if you're in a meeting, if you're working with brands, so many of the people around you are either feeling it right now or have felt it in the past. And I feel like acknowledging that reality is a way to destigmatize the feeling because imposter syndrome can also be very paralyzing. And if you can sort of destigmatize it a little bit, remind yourself that it's normal. And that you're having a perfectly normal response that many other people have had can help you to get back to focusing in the moment and doing what you actually want to be doing instead of shutting down through fear. To me, that's the most important place to start, acknowledging how you feel and recognizing that is totally normal.
0: And kind of refocusing, like you said, and getting back to what you're doing, getting your eyes focused on what is important, your work, and not focused on the fear.
1: Exactly. And then it also helps to really break it down specifically because often, and this is true for so many problems, it helps to break it down into smaller, more manageable pieces. So it might feel like this big, broad, overpowering inadequacy or insecurity that applies to everything. But if you really think about it, maybe it's a specific thing. Maybe it's your photography, maybe a specific recipe that you've been working on, or the way you write a recipe, or the copy in the blog post. If you can focus on exactly where it's stemming from, that can help you give you a plan of how to address it instead of feeling more hopeless and thinking it's applying to everything when really there might be something that you can actually do which I think helps a lot.
0: And I mean this could prompt you to outsource and focus on the things that you're really good at which would improve your the way that you feel about yourself and your self-confidence would go up. So I like that a lot breaking it down like what is the thing that is making me feel like I'm not good enough? Pinpoint it and then address it whether it's improving your skills or finding someone to do that for you so that you can focus on the things that you truly shine at.
1: Exactly. Virtual assistants have become popular for a reason, right? Because they can take something off your plate that not only helps you where maybe you weren't as good, but also takes that stress away too. And that can always, (laughs) removing stress in itself is a good thing, but that can help you address the things you want to address from a better place.
0: I love that perspective. Is there anything else first of all before we move on that can help as far as like getting over imposter syndrome?
1: There's a few things. We've talked about reaching out for help, but sometimes that means just talking to someone that you trust even if they're not a fellow food blogger, like a friend. And then you kind of check in with them and they'll probably tell you where, you know, your thinking is running a little bit off course. It can help you sort of bring you back to reality, remind you of your qualifications, remind you of why it's perfectly fine for you to do what you're doing. And if for some reason, you know, a friend's not available, you can't go out for coffee, it can often help to picture, what if your friend was saying this about themselves? Would you agree and be like, yeah, wow, you really aren't qualified. You should probably (laughs) just stop where you are. Of course you wouldn't. And not just because you're nice and they're your friend, but probably because they're wrong. And so you would want to point out their qualifications and support them and help them believe in themselves. And for some reason it's really easy for us to do that to other people, but we're not as good at showing that compassion to ourselves. It's this terrible combination of we're most critical of ourselves, but we're also often like the least objective about ourselves, if that's not a good combination. So, it can help to picture Wait, Would other people even really agree with me if I spoke these words out loud? And the answer is probably not.
0: I love that too. There's so much truth to that. And our friends, the good friends are really honest with us and they're good about saying, no, you're wrong. Or yeah, maybe you could work on that. But that's such a great place to go. A trusted friend that maybe isn't in the food blogging world that has no idea what's going on in our world. And then yeah, like just turning it around. Like you said, that's amazing advice. You want your friend to say that about themselves? Probably not. So should we beat ourselves up? No, probably not. We are so mean to ourselves, aren't we? We're just, we're terrible. The thoughts that go through my head every day, like I would never say that to anybody else. And I think that most people probably do that, just beating themselves up about things that are not necessary. So I think like working on your mindset to being intentional about what you're thinking about yourself and how you're treating yourself. And then you mentioned, this too Don it like reducing stress that kind of goes along with that like treating yourself well do those things that are going to relieve stress from your life and when you start to do that really like the thoughts about yourself get so much more positive but it's so hard to do in food blogging (laughs) because there's so much to do it's like the chicken and the egg like where do you start it's like this cycle like i have so much work to do but i need to do this but i can't because there's so much work to do like where do we start do you have recommendations for that yeah again
1: this is sort of goes back to what I mentioned previously about breaking it down piece by piece because it is so easy to get overwhelmed. And so this helps some people. I think also it, it can be a little tricky sometimes that we've all heard called fake it till you make it, which. Sometimes it's necessary you are, you know, maybe talking in front of people or you have a deadline that you need to hit and you just need to push through. I think it can get a little tricky to navigate sometimes. You know, if someone asks you something that you don't know, does faking it till you make it mean you make up an answer? Probably not. It's perfectly okay to say, I don't know, let's figure this out together or I don't know, let's check in with this other person. They might know more. But what that can do for you is... It forces you to push through it and really sit down and make yourself start working wherever you are. One of my favorite phrases is from, or expressions, I should say, is from Arthur Ashe, the tennis player. And he said, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And I... Turn to this quote so frequently. It's so helpful because you really have no other choice. You are where you are. You can't change where you are on your blogging journey or personal journey. So you really have no choice but to start where you are and look ahead, because that's that's the way a journey works. You're looking ahead. And you're just doing what you can. That's all you can do. And that's perfectly enough. And that's what everyone else is doing, too. So that's always a good check in for me.
0: I like that. Just kind of looking like right in front of you. What is right there? Embracing this whole food blogging experience as a journey and not seeing it as like a means to an end or I have to be the expert in this topic or whatever. Just really, truly looking at where you're at and embracing that. So, I mean, that's like a fundamental thing for every aspect of your life, but it holds true with food blogging as well, I believe. Just Looking around you, what are your strengths? What are you good at? What are what can you do right now? Just such a simple truth, right?
1: Absolutely. And there's room for all of us. You know, if the world only needed one chocolate cookie recipe, then no one would have written another one after the first one, right? But we probably didn't need the 487th chocolate cookie recipe or the 800th. But, you know, everyone wants it a little bit differently. Everyone keeps putting out their version. And the version you put out could end up being someone's favorite that they recommend to everyone they know. And it could become a family favorite that gets passed down through generations and becoming a part of celebrations and milestones and bonding moment. They had so many other chocolate cookie recipes to choose from, but yours is the one that they really connected with. Someone else might connect with another blogger's recipe, and that's okay, too. No one is really, really reinventing the wheel with their recipes. I mean, every once in a while something happens that kind of comes along and changes the game a little bit. But if everyone else gets the right chocolate cookie recipe, then guess what you do, too?
0: Not only is there room for all of us, I think the world needs our individual unique takes on any given topic, like chocolate chip cookies or whatever your thing is, this is such a refreshing perspective because we hear this from SEO experts all the time, not to even attempt trying to get your chocolate chip cookie recipe seen on Google because you don't stand a chance, right? Like they say that, you know, looking at the keyword difficulty, oh, if it's above a certain number, don't even try it. But this isn't necessarily true coming from a different perspective. Maybe chocolate chip cookie lovers of the world are just waiting for Dawn's unique perspective on gluten-free paleo... (laughs) chocolate chip cookies from the perspective of a male blogger. I don't know if that would even work, but maybe they're just waiting for that one unique perspective, like you said, and you'll never know unless you put yourself out there and try.
1: It can be hard to rank for a popular recipe. But it can also be a slow burn, too. You put it on your blog and you put it on Instagram and maybe one person makes it and they post on Instagram, hey, I made these great cookies from this blogger. And then other people like their friends, their family or their followers, they try it and then it creates this ripple effect. So it might not be immediate that your recipe deserves to be out there. But if you do the work and if you test the recipe and if you really believe in it, it's going to connect with people and those people will want to share it with others
0: yeah so it might not be like immediate traction and a seo killer keyword you know if you have faith in it and Passion for it, then I say do it. I have always been of that belief because I've been digging into SEO quite a bit in the past year. And I've heard so many people say, like, don't give those certain key phrases a chance. But what if I really love that? What if I really have a topic that I absolutely love that my grandmother made, or whatever the situation is? If I just really believe in the recipe, I follow this advice too. Just do it. Do it anyway. If you truly believe in it, don't let SEO tell you not to do it. Because there's a reason why it's a burning passion for you. You need to get it out into the world. And you're a food blogger. So you have the capability to do that.
1: Exactly. When I, you know, look at other food bloggers that I'd like and, and follow them and have used their recipes, if I went to their websites, and they didn't have any recipes like brownies or roast chicken. And I asked them about it and they said, well, I can't rank for that. Yeah, (laughs) I would just find that to be a little strange. If I trust them and and I've had success with their other recipes, I would I would want their brownie recipe, even if it's buried in their archives, I would want their roast chicken. So if you develop a connection with your audience and with your followers, they'll want that recipe from you, regardless if Google wants that recipe from you.
0: Another recipe might be a starting point for like getting someone to be your audience, but that could lead to other things like that brownie recipe that you love, but it's just another brownie recipe on Google someone might grab it because they came to your site for another reason. So you never know how people are going to find your content. But having it there, if you truly believe in it, I think is so important. I think that is such a good message. There is value in keywords and researching what is trending and all of that. But really go with your gut. If you feel like you need to put something out there, just
1: do it. I totally agree. Because again, if people didn't do that, we would be stuck with like, one chocolate chip cookie recipe. And how, boring, <laughs> you know? right? how boring, right? boring, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I guess reminding ourselves that we will never know it all, but that we still do deserve success, is really important in this whole. You know, issue of imposter syndrome. So, how do we do that? Like, how do we do this consistently? You know, we've talked about like how to kind of kick ourselves out of a rut and like focus on what's in front of you. And like, how do we work this into our lives so that we're consistent about just knowing that we deserve to have our word out there?
1: It's difficult. And The reason I'm talking about all this is not because I've conquered imposter syndrome. It's because I still struggle with it. I'm a work in progress, just like everyone else. So it does take practice like anything else. And like anything else that takes practice, you get better at it as you go along. There's a really great phrase that I'm sure we've all heard by now called don't compare your behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. Yes. And so... That is also a really helpful phrase for me too, because when I look at someone who has four hundred thousand followers, I remind myself at some point a while ago they only had fifty and then they only had four hundred yes. and now they have four hundred thousand, so at some point they were exactly where I am too and you just need to have these conversations with yourself. When you're on social media, you love Instagram. I love Instagram too. I think the food photography is beautiful. I find it really inspiring. I love the stories and getting to know people on a more personal basis. And then you have to remind yourself of the positive things that you're getting out of it. And then if it's not making you feel so good that day, then shut it down and move on and focus on the things that you want to focus on, whether that's cooking or whether that's, you know, your loved ones or watching a movie or whatever you need to do. It does help to have these kind of conversations with yourself to have these phrases in mind that you can connect with and check in with yourself about it. And also remind yourself of the things that you already have done. You've probably, unless you're totally brand new and haven't started yet, you probably already do have recipes on your blog that you should feel really good about because they take a lot of work. And so if you work at believing in yourself, if you work at developing that foundation of what you're doing, who you're doing it for, and why you should be doing it, that can remind you to keep trying and keep pushing forward.
0: It really is about kind of experiencing the journey, like we talked about a little bit earlier. You have to understand that this is a process. And Surrounding yourself with positivity, whether that's friends and family, or I liked your idea of like looking at what you have accomplished. Look at the posts that are killing it on Google, or, you know, focusing on those things that you've really done well instead of looking at what you haven't done. I love that perspective, even if you need to like write those things down and so they stare you in the face visually every day on a whiteboard. Or I just like surrounding myself with positivity. I think it's so important because. We can be so mean to ourselves. And if I don't, I'm like, oh, goodness. I, you know, I can just get so caught up in that. So I think that's a really important part of it. And then something we haven't mentioned is journaling. Journaling is really great for me for kind of getting through a problem. If I'm feeling like I'm not good enough about something, if I just write it out, it feels so much better. I'm like, oh, that's what that was. And then I can tackle it in a better mindset. Those are all really great things. Practicing, you mentioned that too. Practice, practice, practice. You're not going to get anywhere without practicing your skill over and over.
1: Yeah, this, <laughs> this might sound a little strange, but you can do everything you want to do even while you're experiencing imposter syndrome. So you don't have to let it shut you down. You might just have to, for a while, and it's usually temporary, kind of comes and goes, just keep working while you're feeling it. And the work itself can adjust your focus so you're not as distracted by it. And then when you get to the other side, when you have the recipe ready, when you have the blog post up, you've done the work and the imposter syndrome didn't slow you down or hold you back.
0: Yeah, it's like fighting against it a little bit. Like, I recognize that you're there, but I'm not going to let you shut me down. I'm going to keep moving, even though I feel these feelings.
1: Exactly. Because it's like at any job, you know, if I'm not feeling great at my job, I I still have to do it. (laughs) You know, I don't just get to like, go hide in a corner or, or stay home or anything. It's a good reminder that you can work with these feelings that again, end up mostly being Temporary. They've actually done studies that find that um, the vast majority of what people worry about will happen never actually even happen. And the things that do happen, the vast majority of people discovered either they could handle that difficulty better than they expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. Henry Ford once said, and I hadn't heard this before, but I think it's really great. He said, failure is only the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. And It turns problems and failures is a fairly harsh word, but maybe that applies, into a learning opportunity, into a challenge that you now have to work on. And so often the things that we're worried about happening don't happen. And when they do, they're kind of okay anyway.
0: Yeah, that is such a great perspective. And it takes such intentional thought to get yourself into that, especially if you're not used to having that frame of mind that failure problems is actually an opportunity for other things. If you're not used to that, it's really foreign. Because when I first started kind of talking myself into this whole concept, like failure is good. It was like, what? No, this failure sucks. It's not good. But if you do it enough and I did it like uh, repeatedly for like a year or more and you finally get to a place where you totally believe it and you believe it because you can look back and you can see that all of the little failures and problems that you've come across along the way have actually turned into like all the things you mentioned, learning and growing and actually like solving other problems. I mean, I know it's hard. It's hard to tell someone like this is how you need to think, but it's a process and it's such a journey. Just start thinking that little by little. And I promise that eventually you'll be thinking like, OK, I'm in this situation, but it is going to be good someday. It's good to be in that place. It's like a faithful place. Like I have faith that whatever I'm feeling right now is leading me to a better place.
1: I heard once to replace the word problem in your vocabulary with the word challenge. I'm not always good at reminding myself of that. But when I do, it really helps reframe things for me so that it kind of motivates me to take it on a little bit more. And like we're talking about These are learning opportunities, and then you do have more knowledge. And so, then when someone comes to you with a question, you can say, You know what? I've tried it that way, and it actually didn't work for me. Sometimes I'll actually post on Instagram stories, like if a recipe doesn't work, I've been working on this pie recipe, and the first time I made it it didn't really work. So, I posted that on Instagram stories, and I was like, look at this crust, this didn't work. And oh, look at this, like this pulled away from the crust, and that doesn't look too good, but I'm still working on it. So I think there's a way to use the knowledge that you're gaining as you go through your process. And then when someone asks you a question, oh, hey, can I make it ahead of time? Or can I change the oven temperature? Or can I substitute? You know, there's always a substitution question, you're probably going to be in a better place to answer those questions, because you've gone through the process of working through all those problems.
0: And if you hadn't, then you wouldn't be as well-rounded and you wouldn't know the answers to those questions. So I love that perspective, too.
1: And that's okay, too, to say, you know what, I don't know, I haven't tried that. Or you can say, I would recommend starting here, but I can't guarantee the results. That's okay, too. But you also might have the answer that they need
0: none of us are going to always have the answers to everything. Even the most amazing, successful bloggers in the world don't have the answers to everything. And they have to research too. They have to Google things that they don't know. I mean, even Martha Stewart. I don't know. Do you think Martha Stewart has to Google anything? (laughs) I don't
1: know. I think Martha Stewart has people to Google things for her.
0: (laughs) So she's fine. She's good. Oh, this is such a great chat. Okay. So if you're listening right now and you're a food blogger and you have times when you feel like you're a fraud or that maybe you aren't responsible for the success around you. I'm speaking for Don right now that you are capable and you're smart and you have created the success that exists around you and you deserve to believe that. Do you have anything to add to that, Don?
1: <laughs> no, I would just say, I mean, if you if someone literally wants to reach out to me to talk about it, I'd be more than happy to talk about it because this is something that I am also dealing with all the time.
0: Yeah. And especially, I mean, you're a newer blogger. So I think that is another strike against the imposter syndrome spirit because you're swimming in a sea of so many talented people. So I love that you offered for people to reach out to. I think that is really kind of you. And it's valuable to talk about this with people if you are feeling it. And Don has offered up his thoughts. So, <laughs> take him up.
1: <laughs> totally. And can I tell you something kind of funny? After I realized I was coming on this podcast to talk about this, I all of a sudden went down this downward spiral of, what am I doing? Oh. <laughs> Who am I to talk about this? I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. Well, who's oh, going to believe funny. me? And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing everything yes. that I'm reading about not But doing. that's
0: normal, right? We get faced with or we just get like pummeled with those fears, especially when we're really brave and we're like, yeah, I, I've got this then that's when the fear starts to creep in and attack us. And we're like, wait a second. And then it's almost like we're even more diminished, even more than before. And so we have to talk ourselves up. But it's a constant battle. I don't think any of us are ever like at the top of our imposter syndrome. Like we're totally over it. It's a constant battle.
1: And when you conquer it, about one part of what you're doing, it might pop up in another new part that you've started doing And so, unfortunately, the cycle begins again, but you can look back and realize, well, the last time this happened, that was temporary and I don't feel it anymore. So this time I have the tools and I can make this temporary too.
0: And you can conquer those fears and get onto a podcast. And then afterward, it just feels so good. Like, yes, I gave value to people. I hopefully helped somebody today. So it is so worth just facing those fears and punching imposter syndrome in the face and telling him to go away.
1: (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. I love that. punted in the face.
0: Yes. And you can visualize that too. I'm a big visualizer. So I like, yeah, putting something visual in in my head and just like punching the crap out of it. Me too. I like that too. (laughs) Yeah. So Don, is there anything we've missed talking about that you'd like to mention before we say goodbye?
1: I think we've actually covered most of it.
0: Yeah. We've talked about a lot. We've covered... Quite a bit. So we gave people kind of, you know, things to look out for, ways that you can take imposter syndrome and turn it around and actually make it a positive thing to benefit your business, which I love that perspective that you came with. And then also Don came with a huge list of awesome tips about how to conquer it once you realize it's in your life. So I will kind of write all of that out and have that on Don's show notes page if anyone is interested. And Yeah, I think this was great. I really appreciate you being here today, Don, and sharing such value with food bloggers.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: So you've shared a ton of quotes and I loved all of them. But before you go, do you have anything extra, a quote or words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers?
1: Start where you are, do what you can.
0: Love it. Love it, love it. Thank you so much. Don has a list of favorite resources relating to today's topic, imposter syndrome. These can be found on his show notes page. Page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Don B. Don, tell my listeners the best place to find you online.
1: My website is paleoglutenfreeguy.com. And then that's the same handle Guy on Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Don, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time.